0: Communication can be really hard. I have my own invisible experiences and assumptions about how the world works. It lives in my own psyche, but when I'm talking to you, I bring that with me to the table, whether you realize it or not. The Bible is the same. The biblical authors have assumptions about the world, and they're often very different than mine. This episode is our next step in the paradigm series. What type of literature is the Bible? Today, we continue our conversation on how the Bible is ancient literature. Last week, we talked about how the Bible uses words differently than our words. And today, we're gonna go deeper and look at how the words of the Bible are just at the surface of an often foreign way of viewing the world. Whole concepts in the
1: Bible or ideas that transcend just words. The whole is going to be saturated with other cultural assumptions from the ancient biblical authors that are gonna
0: be really different than ours. So when I think of the cosmos, I think of the ever-increasing universe that I'm floating around in on spaceship Earth. When I think of civilization, I think of democracy and freedom. But biblical authors have a different way of thinking about the world. The way the biblical authors talk about
1: heaven and earth, or the way they talk about groups and individuals, or honor or shame, All these kinds of concepts. So these are bigger cultural concepts that just the biblical authors take for granted, which means they don't ever talk about them. They just
0: think through them. And it's important to realize that my cultural assumptions might be, and often are, completely different than the Bible's. In the modern world,
1: we've inherited over the last few years the view of nature as this vast, complex machine. That material is all that is. And while we view the world as material, the biblical authors see the world as sacramental. Sacramental is a way of expressing what the biblical authors assume, that the material is the way that what is spiritual
0: or most real is expressed to us. I'm John Collins. This is Bible Project Podcast. And today, we look at the cultural assumptions underlying the Bible's ancient literature. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. We're working through a whole series of conversations, trying to pin down and be really clear about what we mean when we say the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Mm -hmm. In other words, what type of literature is this Mm -hmm. book Mm -hmm. or collection of scrolls Mm -hmm. as it is? (laughs) and which way should we approach it and read it? Yeah. So in order to really unpack that, we've been walking through uh, a number of attributes, different ways to talk about What type of literature the Bible is?
1: Yeah, everybody comes to everything with preloaded assumptions about what it is, Mm -hmm. which will shape and influence what you do with it, from a hammer to a table to a person to Mm -hmm. a sacred text. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is be really explicit about uh, the paradigm within which we're engaging the scriptures as we create all this content for the Bible Project, but... We've also been wanting to be careful about not calling it our paradigm. Yeah, it's yeah. a paradigm that we see modeled within Scripture itself, and then within kind of the historic Jewish Christian traditions about yeah. how to talk about and treat.
2: treat yeah, we the don't paradigm. want it to sound like our paradigm's better than your paradigm. Yeah, that's it's right. That we're asking the question: What is the Bible's paradigm of itself?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, how does it ask us to engage it?
0: Yeah, that's what we're after. Yeah, I like how you said that. Everything that we approach requires us to think of that thing in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess that makes a lot of sense when you think of something really simple, like a table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's this table for? And how do I use it? Yep. Yeah. And it could be all yeah. sorts of... It could is it be a
1: dance floor? <laughs> <laughs> you, you use a table as a dance floor. No, but I'm thinking... But some people do. Yeah, put loose. Some iconic <laughs> table dancing scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, it's a simple point that is so simple, it mm-hmm. often goes unsaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we get into environments where there are really unique things, like a mm-hmm. collection of ancient sacred writings. Yeah. Communities of faith often don't explicitly talk about their assumptions about it. They just mm-hmm. operate and go and live and do on based on those assumptions.
2: Yeah. So when it comes to literature, it matters what kind of literature it is. Yeah. I think you guys used the example earlier. Is it a cookbook? You would approach that in one way. Yeah. Is it a, a novel that you would approach in another way? And so we're trying to understand what the Bible is yep. when we come to it.
0: Yes. It's very unique literature, and it requires us to really unpack mm-hmm. what type of literature it is. And mm-hmm. it's unique on many levels. And the first level, which we talked about, was that it's human. All literature is human, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. divine. Yeah. It's a human-divine collaboration, mm-hmm. partnership. Yeah. So that's, that's the first element of this mm-hmm. paradigm, which I guess any holy book would say of itself, potentially, mm-hmm. but most literature doesn't really say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So that's a key aspect that we talked about at length. And then we talked about that it's unified literature. It is a collection of scrolls, 51 different scrolls by a certain counting, written over thousands of years by Mm -hmm. many different authors and different literary genres, but it tells one unified story.
2: Mm -hmm. A story of Mm -hmm. God's rescue of humanity to be his Mm -hmm. partners in ruling the world. Mm-hmm. And those things really overlap to me, human and divine, unified story. Yeah, yeah
1: about God yeah. ruling the world through humans.
2: Yeah, and it has this coherence exactly that right. is yes. really beautiful and sophisticated. And to me, when I read this unified story and see the coherence, that mm-hmm. convinces me of not just the humanity of the text, but there's this spirit at work behind the text, behind mm-hmm. the authors.
1: I love that. And that goes into the third element Mm -hmm. of the paradigm, which is it's messianic literature. So the way that that unified story about God and humans finds its climax and resolution is in an anointed representative. Uh, The word messianic Mm -hmm. means anointed, anointed like, like an anointed one. Like
0: it's, an anointed one. Messianic. An anointed
1: meaning? Someone uh, in ancient Israel who was singled out to be a representative figure on behalf mm-hmm. of the whole. Okay. This was Israel's high priest, mm-hmm. was one anointed one, and then Israel's king was another anointed.
0: I love this, how we're, we're creating this nice thread. So the Bible is a human and divine partnership, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it tells a story of a human and divine partnership mm-hmm. that God wants to rule the world through humans. Mm-hmm. But we failed, and so God anoints a leader— To show us the way, do it for Mm -hmm. us. And the story of the Bible has this thread of choosing people and electing them Mm -hmm. and giving them this responsibility. And that all leads us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's what we mean by messianic. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And then in the unique sense of the
1: Jesus style messianic, which is that the claim is that he is Israel's God, become the human anointed one Mm -hmm. to do for the humans what they haven't been able to do for
0: themselves, and then that leads us to the next part of the paradigm, which is that it's wisdom literature. How do you partner with God to rule the world? You need wisdom, yeah. And the Bible is presenting itself as as wisdom mm-hmm. for us, and wisdom that leads to Jesus, who is God's wisdom incarnate, mm-hmm. uh, but also wisdom within in the text itself that we can find through the Spirit.
1: Yeah, and wisdom, as we talked about, is not just knowledge based. Mm-hmm. It's about a way of life. Mm -hmm. It's about a whole life embodiment of a set of values in a story. These texts are not just aimed to give us information, but to actually shape us to become certain kinds of people.
2: Transform our character. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right.
0: So that we could partner with God. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. And collaborate. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that leads us to the one that we're in now, which Mm -hmm. is this attribute of the paradigm that we're calling Textually rooted literature.
2: Oh, we skipped that. It's also yeah, the Bible is also meditation literature. yeah, we skipped that one. John's favorite one.
0: <laughs> this one feels like at the center of everything to me. Yeah, mm. but uh, yeah, meditation literature. Yeah. Tell us about that one, Krista. <laughs> uh,
2: the Bible is this ancient Jewish literature. It's artistically designed, and it can interpret itself through these patterns, these design patterns, and It encourages us to reread and reflect over and over and over. So it's not something we come to and get these propositional statements about how to live or these principles. It's a book that we reflect on or a collection of scrolls we reflect on forever and learn and grow as we do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This one to me is about the Bible's literary art is probably the easiest way for me to hang my hat on that Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. And then the kind of artistic
1: communication that it is requires a certain way of reading both reading and rereading and reading every part in light of every other part and in light of the whole, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which will take a lifetime when when it's like a 1,500-page book. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: All right. And then that leads us to the part of the paradigm we're in. I think this is the sixth attribute, that it's contextually rooted literature, Uh, that the Bible was written in another time and culture, and we need to honor the historical context Mm -hmm. that it came from Mm -hmm. to understand it better. So in the last episode, we talked a lot about words. Yeah. yeah, and how words are the way that we communicate and package ideas and transfer them to each other, <laughs> and every language has its own unique way of of doing that. Yeah, yeah. subtle differences, and we are talking in English um, if you didn't know that. <laughs> 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 and uh, the Bible was written in an ancient Hebrew and in and an ancient Greek mm-hmm. that w- we translate into English to try to understand. So we just talked a lot about how do. With humility, try to train ourselves to allow the Bible to use words the way that it did in its original context.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it might use words differently. It does use words differently than we might use them Mm -hmm. today in English in our context. So just being aware of that and maybe going back and looking up some Hebrew or Greek meanings of words Mm -hmm. and tracing those through the story. Mm
0: -hmm. I didn't get to say this in the last episode, but the word that has kind of shook me the most is... Nefesh, soul. Mm-hmm. That word translated into English has a lot of different connotations in mm-hmm. yeah. Hebrew. And yeah. we have a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, so it's helpful. We're going to take this part of the paradigm in two steps. The last mm-hmm. one was about words. And I have found it helpful to start there. And when you're introducing or helping people really think about the contextually rooted nature mm-hmm. of the Bible, because it's it's very self-evident once you reflect on it, that words in another language embody another culture's way of seeing yeah. the world. It doesn't take that that much to get there. So the second step is also just to say, so uh, if single words do that, then of course, whole books of the Bible, mm-hmm. whole concepts in the Bible or ideas mm-hmm. that transcend just words, but the whole is going to be saturated with other cultural assumptions from the ancient biblical authors that are going to be really different than ours. Yeah. So we talked in the last episode about the meaning of the word heart. Yeah. And the different conception of human anatomy (laughs) that his authors had. And so in a similar way, the way the biblical authors talk about heaven and earth, the structure of the cosmos, or how they talk about what is spiritual and what is material, Hmm. or the way they talk about groups and individuals, or honor or shame, Mm -hmm. all these kinds of concepts. So, these are bigger cultural concepts that just the biblical authors take for granted, which means they don't ever talk about them. Mm -hmm. They just think through them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like their lens for seeing the world. Yes, that's right. So, to the degree that we can see some of these core cultural differences between how the biblical authors viewed all reality Mm -hmm. (laughs) and ourselves,
0: then we were, you know, we're better. Prepared. What do you call this bucket of things? So we have words. That's so easy to understand. Mm-hmm. These are. Yeah. I guess just mm. cultural values or cultural assumptions. Cultural assumptions. Cultural perspectives. Yeah.
2: It's a good point. Mm.
1: I guess what uh, cultural. Hmm.
2: Assumptions. Yeah. make sense. Assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. Because it might not be a value. Heaven and earth and how you see the cosmos. But it's mm-hmm. yeah, an assumptions or a lens. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. Assumptions that you have about reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and about what is yeah, the right or true thing. For example, so I just listed out one, two, three, four, just five. Not because these are the five best or certainly they're not the five only different cultural Mm -hmm. assumptions that biblical authors have. I have found, in my experience, these are the ones that come up most common. Mm -hmm. In other words, when people have friction points with the Bible, either a part they don't understand or that they don't like, it's very often that there's a difference of background assumptions at work. So this list is a little bit subjective, but at least I have found it in years Mm -hmm. of teaching to to be helpful. These are some of the main different cultural assumptions. If you can spot them uh, and know how to see when they come up, it's often a window into deeper understanding to a particular part of the Bible. Okay, so the first one we actually don't need to talk about at length because uh, we did a podcast series on this not very long ago, and I just called this Ancient Cosmology. That's a scary word. (laughs) Scary, but
2: really cool sounding. (laughs)
1: Yeah, cosmology. (laughs) Well, in modern English, it has a pretty specific term into a field of scientific studies about usually about the physical processes and origins. So we call it astronomy. No, astronomy is like study of the stars. Oh. Okay, so cosmology is study of...
2: The universe? It's usually
1: or... Or a study of the origins and the processes, mm. the laws or processes that are fundamental to the origin and coherence of the universe. Okay. However, it also has another layer of meaning that's what we mean here, which is um, stories or accounts that a culture gives about how the world is ordered and how that order began. Maybe it's not a different meaning. Maybe it's just a simpler way of saying the first meeting. Oh, yeah, sure. A cosmology is an account. Mm-hmm. That's what the ology Ology. Is the, mm-hmm. the Greek word logos under there, logos, ology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then cosmos is about order. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's an account of how reality is ordered and how it came to be that way. There you go, cosmology. Cosmology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So there's modern cosmologies, usually unspoken and assumed. Mm-hmm. We learn them from all kinds of sources growing up. But they're really different from how ancient cultures cosmologies and accounts and definitely from the biblical authors had a different type of cosmology than we do
2: yeah so what's one example of where that matters or where you see that yeah and it, that it's helpful to know that the ancient authors had a different paradigm
1: the easiest place to begin is the first sentence of the bible within the beginning god created the skies and the land so if you have a conception of the expanding universe uh and then of galaxies
0: by the way i just this is a new fact that I just uploaded huh 200 billion stars in our galaxy. In the Milky Way. In the Milky Way. 200 billion. Remember we were just looking at the stars the other night? We were looking at the Milky Way the other night. 200 billion. Stars. Stars. Yeah. And just our galaxy. And I guess the estimate right now is somewhere between one and two trillion galaxies in the ever-expanding universe. Wow.
2: That's wild. One to two
0: trillion <laughs> yeah. little neighborhoods of 200 billion stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah it's, oh my it's, goodness. It's really,
1: it's impossible to fathom. My brain's too small. My whole life right now, like, consists of set of rhythms that take up two square miles <laughs> 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 and then I
0: occasionally leave those two Tri- square miles the number trillion's <laughs> been in, in our vocabulary now you know we yeah. just spent yes. a trillion on this that yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. a trillion is yes. a thousand billion yeah. and a billion is a thousand <laughs> million yeah. okay
2: uh, I just looked up how long it would take to count to a billion just because I don't, even, I don't even have a concept of a how million. big that is yeah about 30 years to count to one billion.
1: <laughs> if you just sit down and yeah. one, two. Yeah,
2: so don't try it. <laughs> don't try that.
1: Uh, okay, so what we're... Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, yeah. no, but what we're putting our finger on is something that's very... That's, that's how we think about the world. unique universe. to yeah. the modern world. That's what the philosopher Charles Taylor calls the deep abyss of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This awareness through modern scientific cosmology that the amount of time and the depth of space within which we exist is abysmally more deep <laughs> uh, than humans have ever comprehended before that does something to your sense of your place within that universe yeah yeah that's very different that shapes us just think in ways that are really different than how the biblical authors did the, so if i were to have
0: written an account of the beginning of time and space i might have said in the beginning god created the ever expanding universe and all of its Mm -hmm. galaxies Mm -hmm. sure yeah that's right like that's my cosmology Mm -hmm.
1: that's right so the biblical authors uh began from an observational standpoint of a human standing on the ground yeah so in the beginning god created Mm -hmm. what's up there the sky above and what's down
0: here yeah the land below yeah, my feet. Yeah.
1: And so the whole of the biblical cosmos essentially takes up and is described with language of what a human mm-hmm. sees when they're mm-hmm. on the ground looking about. And then they'll they'll make metaphysical, they'll they'll ponder the nature of God and then begin to describe what must be above and beyond the cosmos that can account for the snow globe in mm-hmm. which we find ourselves. For example, so the biblical language. About the earth assumes that we're on a flat disk, mm-hmm. the edges of the land, the four corners of the land, the waters under the land, yeah. the land is on pillars, the sky dome above. Yeah. And this is this this is how the biblical authors assume the cosmos is structured.
2: So understanding this while we read helps us to make sense of things like the windows of heaven opened yeah. or yeah. Um, just odd Phrases that might seem odd to us, but actually make a lot of sense in that ancient perspective.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, one, this is just about trying to understand. There's another issue that comes along with how do
0: I... Yeah, how How do I I come to terms with the fact that that isn't how the cosmos is ordered? Exactly.
2: I mean, that's true of all of these points that you have here, this ancient lens. What do we do with that? Do we impose that ancient lens on ourselves as the norm, or do we just recognize that's the vehicle of communication, this ancient culture?
1: Yep, that's right. Again, I referenced this mm, somewhere early in these conversations, but a very helpful and fun book to read. It's by Hebrew Bible scholar Robin Perry Mm -hmm. called The Biblical Cosmos, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Weird and Wonderful World of the Bible. This is an extended quote, which I don't often read long extended quotes, but this is a good one because he's addressing that that very one, and I think it helps us. I think it also helps us merge this part of the paradigm with wisdom literature part of the paradigm. So he says Christians have a long tradition of adjusting and translating from biblical cosmologies to contemporary cosmologies, often without even realizing it. So we just merge the ancient cosmology and shift it to our own, usually unconsciously. In the history of Christianity, the ancient Israelite cosmology, that's the three-tiered cosmos of the skies, the land, and the waters under the land, Mm -hmm. that gave way to the Ptolemaic cosmology that dominated Christian thought for centuries. So that's a cosmology where the earth is viewed as a globe. It is a sphere, but it's at the center of a whole series of spheres. There's seven spheres going out above, and that accounts for the movements of different layers of stars and so on. So Perry continues, most Christians didn't even notice that a shift had taken place, that shift from the biblical Mm -hmm. to the Ptolemaic. And once Copernican cosmology finally supplanted the Ptolemaic, so that's that we're um, on a sphere, but we're not at the center. We're going around the sun. When that's finally supplanted the Ptolemaic, Christians had little trouble adapting to that either. Okay, so here's his takeaway. He says, remember, in the biblical text, the symbolic meaning of the image of heaven above was always the most important thing about that language. Height or depth mm-hmm. spoke of importance or rank. For the biblical authors, the idea of heaven being above meant that heaven was the most important dimension of all the created world. That's the high, exalted place from which God rules over all things. Interpreting language of the high heavens non-geographically. So let's pause real quick here. So what he's saying is taking it as a symbol that we would say they, using the word heaven as what's above to describe like a transcendent dimension that accounts for all things, we would translate it into our cosmology, which right now would be like another dimension (laughs) or an ultimate a foundational dimension that is only partially discernible to us right? but that we need that has to be present to explain everything else yeah and you all of a sudden you're talking the language of modern physics pretty mm-hmm. quickly here right. so to finish the quote he says interpreting that language non-geographically doesn't threaten the heart of biblical cosmology at all the truth that scripture pointed to was always that heaven is invisible it's inaccessible to humans but it's at the heart of all creation because divine life and rule all flow from it. It's very helpful, at least yeah. for me. Yeah. Thank you, Robin Perry.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there is a sense of you think of. Uh, I like to imagine an ancient thinker really believing that the the stars are creatures, and there's a dome. Like they really. I mean, I think if you sat them down, they'd be like, "Yeah, that's how it is," and God's throne is up there. <laughs> and but then you get someone like Solomon who's talking about it and he's like, yeah, but even like the highest.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Like transcendent heavens couldn't contain God. Like he gets it. Yeah, totally. It's still like, it's Mm -hmm. just a way to think about. Um, And so I think the smartest ancients back then too also had this sense of like, yeah, Yeah. we're just trying to, we're just trying to make sense of this. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. That's right. So this has been huge for me in the last couple of years to just full on embrace ancient biblical cosmology Mm -hmm. and it's become so beautiful and profound to me but it's because I've tried to do what Robin Perry is encouraging us to do which is to translate
2: Mm.
1: in my mind so instead of imposing my cosmology on the biblical authors it's about letting that letting the difference really stand out to me and then pondering to myself what does it mean what does it mean for David to say if I go to the skies you're there if I go into the abyss Mm -hmm. you're there You're inside me. You're outside me. Mm. I can't go anywhere that you're not there. That's poetry, and doing profound claims about the nature of God's relationship to Mm. creation. Yeah, but using ancient cosmology, Mm. stuff like that.
2: Yeah. So you try on the lens of the ancient authors, if you know, Mm -hmm. if you have an idea about what that is, and then ask the question: What message is being communicated through using this lens or this perspective? What meaning is being put forth through it?
1: So that's one part. Okay. Here's another deep cultural assumption that's very different from ours that follows from that. I'm not quite sure what to call this, so I'll just use words that I think are traditional within the Christian tradition. This is a view of the sacramental and the spiritual. Hmm. So in the modern world, um, we've inherited over the last few years, the view of nature as this vast complex machine or mechanism mm-hmm. of parts. That are all material in nature. They're material in nature, and all of it can be accounted for in just cause effect chains of molecules and things bumping into each other, mixing, combining. It's all chemistry all the way down. It's all chemistry all the way down. And so, because of um, that focus on material, it has resulted in a view of all reality that's very common called materialism. That material is all that is, Mm. there is no other dimension or part of reality that we would call real, that if it's not accounted for in that material. And so this has led to a big kind of division between ancient and modern cosmologies, often the way religious or faith worldviews are pitted against modern or scientific worldviews. Right.
0: Yeah, I remember my psychology teacher in eighth grade just basically (laughs) saying, you can't believe in ghosts. Mm. And angels. He was kind of ridiculed. Like he actually asked yeah. us, like, raise your hand in this class if you believe in ghosts, and like most of the class raises their hand. Yeah, and then he just kind of ridiculed everyone. Like, yeah. guys, yeah. Yeah. that's ridiculous. This is a material world. Right, that's all mm-hmm. there is, and that's often an underlying mm-hmm. kind of driving assumption.
1: You resonate with that? Yeah, Krista, mm-hmm. in terms of your cultural background.
2: Yeah, in one sense I do, and another sense I don't. Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home, but my mom was really exploratory as far as the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. so we were always um as kids also exploring different spiritual traditions so thinking about the spiritual realm a lot yeah but i encountered that in in other spheres too school sometimes it's hard to separate where we encounter what i'm even thinking today i'm thinking man i when i think about emotions or feelings I validate them the most when I can understand what's happening in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when sure. I can explain it or explain the chemistry. Yeah. I want to like understand the biology behind things or the chemistry, yeah. the brain yeah. function. Mm-hmm. So there's still maybe that inclination to mm-hmm. do that with other things. So, an
1: interesting thing has happened though in modern Western forms of Christianity, even in rejecting the idea that no, there is a reality that is more than material or other than material. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also embraced this category that the material is what is fundamental or what is real, and so whatever we're talking about in terms of some other dimension, a spiritual dimension, or God's dimension, it's certainly not material, mm. or there's no relationship to what we would call. Yeah. material. it's like
2: it's distinct, and it might break into the material yeah. world.
1: Correct. So whatever miracles God is, are yes. a yes, yeah, like God intervening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Truly intervening, entering into another. Yeah, it's the idea of the
0: clockmaker, put everything in motion, it's all material. And of course, he could come in and intervene and do something. Yeah, But that's the exception. And when that happens, that's supernatural. Yeah. That's not, yeah.
1: Yeah. So even in rejecting a view that says only the material is what is real, it still buys into a fundamental idea that the material is the opposite of whatever is divine or spiritual and so on. Mm. And so the biblical authors don't... They don't think that way. They don't think that Mm -hmm. way. So sacramental (laughs) means... Sacramental is a way of expressing what the biblical authors assume, that the material is the way that what is spiritual or most real is expressed to us. Mm. In other words, um, it's not about spiritual versus material. It's that spiritual... What is divine, what flows from God, is what is most real. But the way that we encounter that isn't by non material or leaving the material world. It's by experiencing the material world in an ultimate or spiritual state. So, in other words, in the Bible, spiritual doesn't always mean non material, hmm. it means ultimate. Hmm. And but the way I encounter that ultimacy of, di- of divine life and presence is through material things. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I guess I'm thinking immediately of just breathing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: The breath of life, God's energy, yes. spirit. Yeah. Good. Like is bringing ox. What I would say is is bringing oxygen into mm-hmm. my body. Mm-hmm. It, and it's a very ma- And from a material point of view, it's just getting, yeah, a chemical into my body so that my body can survive. Mm. But from a sacramental view, Mm. that's actually participating with the divine. It's God's energizing spirit also. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So you could say, and spirit is actually the perfect language because in Genesis 1-2, what is there that transforms the dark, chaotic waters into a garden, an order? Yeah. God's it, breath. It's God's breath. Yeah. So it's in. It's invisible in one sense, but the moment the spirit, through God's word, starts doing its thing, everything that you see is spiritual. That is, it's permeated, created mm-hmm. by, and sustained by um, God's mm-hmm. ordering spirit and purpose. So the tree is the means by which I encounter the spirit. <laughs> in and through the existence of a tree and through the uh, of another person uh, this is and it's in genesis 2 this is what underlies the animation of the human from the dust is the god's human breath. is spiritual <laughs> that is infused by god's spirit and this accounts for everything the concept of eden as a place where heaven and earth are the same place so this is why the tops of mountains are often these sacred types of places Moses saw the pattern for the tabernacle up on Mount Sinai. The temple is up on Jerusalem, Mount Zion. The new Jerusalem in Revelation is depicted as on high coming down to merge with earth. So it's why the biblical story doesn't end with a disembodied, non-material world. It's a material world, but then it's been transformed by being totally merged with the spiritual
0: and so when you mm. say the spiritual as opposed to the material, mm. what do you mean? Mm-hmm. If it's not, yeah. something other than material? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. so for the biblical authors, the moment uh, we're out, we live under the sun and outside of Eden, we're existing in a sub-spiritual state. <laughs> it's material and it's not unspiritual because the whole thing is sustained by God's spirit, but we're not at the hot spot.
0: Sub-spiritual. We're
1: not, we're not in the center.
0: Hmm. So, so, We're you missing could, out on something. Yeah.
1: So it, this goes back to cosmology. So in biblical cosmology, to be highest, to be closest to the skies, is to be closest to the divine. Yeah. Which means you're likely going to shine like a star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's vertical, using vertical up and down. Yeah. You can also make it horizontal and think about sacred space. And this is the Garden of Eden paradigm, mm-hmm. where... To be closest to the divine is to be inside the tent, to be in the middle
0: of the garden. In the city, in the temple. In
1: the city, within the refuge, in the shadow of your wings, and Mm -hmm. to put it in Mm -hmm. the psalms language. So that's inside is where is most sacred, Sacred. and outside is what is common. Mm -hmm. And so to be
0: up or to be inside is -hmm. where you meet. That's why exile is outside. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. Mm -hmm. That's why Gehenna is mm-hmm. outside the gates. Outside the mm-hmm. gates. That's
1: right. So it's that movement from to the inside from the outside or to the highest from the lowest. Those are images of.
0: When you say spiritual, you mean more connected to the life? More connected to of u- God. Ultimate reality mm-hmm. and life of the divine. And yeah. when you say ultimate reality, you mean. Why mat- the material world matters, or how the material world is meant yeah. to be experienced?
1: Yeah, I guess it, it's a way of saying the the most perfect union between the material
0: and, and spiritual. When you say that, you're you're automatically talking about them like they're two separate things.
1: Yeah, they are a different dimensions. So material can exist within the middle of the garden, mm-hmm. in which case you eat from the tree of life and mm-hmm. you are transformed. Mm-hmm. You don't stop being material. The tree life is material. Tree life is material, but it's a different kind. Of, it's trans-material. It's mm. ultimate material. Mm. So there is a contrast, but it's mm. not between spiritual and material. It's between it's between <laughs> Inside... Some other
2: categories. Yeah, yeah.
1: N.T. Wright yeah. uses the phrase "transphysical" mm. to talk about the resurrected mm. body of Jesus.
0: Physical and transphysical. Material yeah. and transmaterial. Yeah.
1: Pre-resurrected Jesus. Mm was filled by the Spirit, yeah. and was spiritual. But the resurrected Jesus is trans-physical, <laughs> or as Paul calls the resurrected Jesus in 1 Corinthians 14, a, a life-giving Spirit. Hmm. He calls the resurrected Jesus a life-giving Spirit. Hmm. But he's very clearly material. Right, It's a transformed material. <laughs> so it's more a difference between two modes of being material hmm. than between being material and
0: and both yeah. are connected to God's spirit, like yeah. you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. God's spirit yeah. enables everything, mm-hmm. regardless if you're inside the garden or outside the garden. Mm-hmm. You have the breath of life, you have God's spirit. Yeah. But there is a sense of material that mm-hmm. is like lacking. It's it's still corrupted or it's, I don't know yeah. how you say. No, that's right. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. Cor- Yeah, corrupted. Yeah, maybe
2: it's like a wholeness Mm -hmm. versus a brokenness or something.
0: Yeah,
1: yep. I almost feel
2: like it's the Bible's not asking us to put these two categories on it in the first place, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to describe the lens. Mm. So it's natural to do that.
1: Yeah, mortal and immortal, Hmm. holy versus Mm -hmm. common, Mm. Mm. pure and impure. Okay. And so mm-hmm. that's a fundamental category yeah. that comes right from the first pages of the Bible. Oh, man. And if you don't have that in place, you just won't see all kinds of things.
2: It's a cool invitation to, like, sometimes I think of the ancient paradigm as being difficult mm. or something to figure out, or, oh, how do I, how am I supposed to understand this? But at the same time that it might be hard or difficult or different, mm. it's also an invitation to, see something in a different way that yeah. could be really yeah. fruitful not just for understanding the story but now for understanding my life around mm-hmm. me in mm-hmm. in yeah. a different way because yeah. my modern paradigm isn't you know perfect or correct so <laughs> yeah, that's right. to try on something different is yeah, yeah i just i yeah. think that's so neat
1: yeah you could argue that we are the ones with a very impoverished view of mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. cuz we are blind to mm-hmm. all of the ways where supra nature, what is ultimate about reality, is in front of our face all the time. Mm. But we don't have the categories
0: to see that it's there. Well, this is fascinating to me because we've, we've done two examples and they're completely different in one very specific way. Mm. So, with cosmology, mm. we were very comfortable saying, okay, they got it wrong. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In a way. Hmm. but not wrong in the sense of the the categories they were creating yeah. and the and the meaning behind the it meaning. that's right mm-hmm. that's right so then we have to translate it to our cosmology mm-hmm. so you know we talked about that mm-hmm. but with this one i hear us saying mm-hmm. you know they kind of got it right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and our... then plato came along mm-hmm. and does a move that maybe is not as correct yeah. And then we adopted that and we started translating the biblical authors into maybe a different paradigm of the material world, hmm. which we were comfortable with mm-hmm. when it came to cosmology, but now mm-hmm. we're saying we should be suspicious <laughs> of when it comes to sacramental mm-hmm. thinking.
1: Yeah. Or material yeah. versus spiritual.
2: Well, yeah. So was, yeah. in both cases, we're looking for the meaning mm-hmm. and the message. But at the same time, there's this other layer where we're invited to try on a different mm-hmm. lens than mm-hmm. ours, and we get to evaluate that mm-hmm. even separately.
1: Yeah, actually, it it is more similar, I think, than you're saying, because okay. we don't think within our cosmology, up in the skies, is the most intense mm-hmm. space of divine presence. Right. Or that if I could just find somewhere on Earth, like if I could like go, go find, the, if I could go find the Garden of Eden, yeah, mm-hmm. then I could. Go stand in the middle, you know, and have eternal Mm -hmm. life. So there are ways of talking about all reality within these spatial symbolic frameworks, Mm -hmm. inside and outside.
0: That's the sacramental?
1: And that's the act Mm -hmm. of translation that we need to do. Oh, okay. So what are the ways in which the spiritual is being expressed to me through my physical existence and environment? Right. But this is where our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters have been saying to their Protestant sisters and brothers for centuries, you guys have been <laughs> trying to tell you this for <laughs> 2,000 years. You're, you're you know?
2: missing some of the experiential yeah, aspect. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm getting the word sacramental mm-hmm. from those traditions yeah. that mm-hmm. have identified a handful of very physical experiences in life yeah. where you meet the divine. And they steward and care for those within the ministries of the church and so on. So not just the Eucharist, the bread and the cup, but also marriage Mm -hmm. and and other things. That only makes sense if you have a sacramental material plus spiritual infused Mm -hmm. view of reality. If you don't, then sacramental thinking just won't make any sense. We're not cruising through these as fast as I thought, and that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, they're complex. They are, they Mm. are. Here's another one. Collectivism versus individualism. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. The biblical authors express a more collectivist view. Other terms have been used, corporate thinking. I like collectivist Mm. more. I forget where I first heard it. Mm -hmm. But this is a basic view about the human individual and their place within a larger group. Yeah, And so modern Western readers have been shaped by a, heritage that's just a few hundred years old Mm -hmm. that thinks primarily in terms of the individual liberty and the will and the autonomy of the individual, Mm -hmm. even if it knows that it's kind of a fiction because no one's an island, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, we we treat the will of the individual as a very important center within our societies. And that's very unique in human history. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Take any of us and have us grow up isolated on an island. We wouldn't even learn how to speak totally our individual nature would be a puddle yeah yeah that's right yeah so
2: understanding this collectivist lens can help us when we see stories that seem to be unfairly punishing the group for the sin of one person that's right yeah or or the opposite of that and it even applies to things as simple as when we read the word in english you seeing that mm. as a singular versus a collective mm-hmm. you y'all
1: yeah Think how different the history of experiencing the New Testament letters would be Mm -hmm. if. It was y'all. And there are languages, many languages, Mm -hmm. translations of the Bible exist in today that has that. Yeah, a collectivist culture assumes that an individual's actions always implicate and uh, affect the larger group or family or tribe to which they belong. And the primary unit of responsibility. Is the group and the individual uh, as an expression of that group. And so we live in a culture that's exactly the opposite. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but although there still are residual effects, I was talking to a friend who's made some decisions recently that their parents really disagree with. And what their parents are saying to them is your choices are going to affect me, affect how people view our family. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And we were just processing that. Yeah. What do you do when you actually have a real moral or ethical value difference mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. generations? And so you're you're operating by your conscience, which is another deeply like, individualistic principle. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a Christian oh, principle sure. to do what you feel is right, even if the many are going astray. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a very mm-hmm. biblical principle. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a tension.
2: Yeah. And what a radical biblical principle if written inside this context of yeah. collectivism.
1: Yeah. So here we're talking about biblical narratives or passages where a whole family is held accountable for something one person does mm-hmm. or a group is held accountable for one. And there's, you know, famous mm-hmm. ones like when David counts his number of soldiers. And so God sends a devastating plague on the people. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: feels so unfair to our minds. That is. And it is
1: actually, I think the whole point of that narrative is it is unfair, (laughs) which is why David gets in God's face about it. Mm. But that's another thing. That whole narrative is wrestling with the relationship of the one and the many Mm. and about concepts of justice and how is God to deal with human failure and evil if it means, you know, holding the many accountable. So there's a passage in in Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians 5 where he's responding about that guy who sleeps with his mother-in-law. And he lays into the whole community hmm. and starts talking about leaven within a lump of dough. Mm-hmm. And that whole chapter, First Corinthians 5, is an expression of this kind of thinking where he says, what this one guy is doing is going to affect how the whole neighborhood hmm. thinks about you and the Jesus movement. So he deals severely with that one person. And it feels like, whoa, that's really intense. Hmm. But he's thinking collectively.
0: Thinking how it's affecting the yeah. whole.
1: That's right.
2: Hmm. Yeah, this aspect seems really related to your next point, honor and shame.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
2: It seems like those things are interconnected.
1: Yes. Yeah, let's talk about that. But just one more example mm-hmm. that's kind of the flip side of the David one. Um, this really struck me a number of years ago when I was working on the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, he's like one of the ultimate
0: righteous biblical characters, Daniel.
1: Yeah. There's no actual failure when We talked about this. Daniel yeah. has the mm-hmm. only
0: biblical character that doesn't have failure narrative Mm -hmm.
1: no he passes all of his tests his flying Mm -hmm. colors uh he does get sick and he claims to not have wisdom and understanding Hmm. when he sees some of these bizarre dreams that he has but um in daniel chapter 9 he does this review of the whole history of israel's failure and he consistently uses the word we and implicates himself Hmm. and even takes it upon himself to Repent before God mm. for the failure of his entire family throughout history. Mm. And you're like, that's a different mentality. That is yeah. a different mentality. Than how uh, it's no. just a different way of thinking about history and yeah. culture and yeah. where responsibility lies.
0: We have a mm. hard time mm. taking responsibility for like yeah. our grandparents' stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 mm. yeah. And he's like thinking of like generations mm-hmm. and generations yeah, back. Bad. So not only is it that he's
1: not from those generations... But that in his actual personal life, he was like a stand-up guy. Hmm. But yet,
0: he's... He identified with it.
1: He identifies and takes responsibility for the sins of his ancestors. Hmm.
2: That's That's... really beautiful. I think so. Mm -hmm. There's
1: something very profound there, Mm -hmm. yeah, that my culture has not taught me to Mm -hmm. value or see. Yes. Okay. So you're right, Krista, that collectivist versus individualist Mm -hmm. implicates and is connected with another one. This is a big cultural difference that actually has a lot of facets, but it has a handy little title called honor and shame. Yeah. Honor and shame cultures.
0: Every time we've talked about this, I go, oh, okay, I think I'm getting it. And then every time it comes back up, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: here, let's let Michael Gorman a New Testament scholar, (laughs) does it? Because the opening words of this paragraph are simply defined. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Honor and shame refer to the ongoing attribution or loss of esteem by one's peers, family, social class, city, and so on.
0: Ongoing attribution. Or loss. Or loss. Of esteem. Of esteem. I think there's a plainer way of saying that. Maybe it's not so simply defined. Esteem. It's all about esteem, recognition,
2: uh, okay,
1: honor.
0: How the, people look at me and think about me.
1: Yeah, so
2: you gain or lose respect, honor, or Can we respect? Say respect,
1: respect, and then specifically that the, how that respect is translated into your rank within society.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, that's how I think of respect. Reputation. Oh, okay, reputation. Okay, that's a good word. But there's a ranking.
1: Yeah, there's a very clear social expression of that esteem in the public place you hold within society mm-hmm. okay rank it's really the, the, the right word rank. so in other words these are cultures where your status okay a person's status which collectivist is wholly implicated in your family or tribe's status mm-hmm. and that every person is every day going up or down the scale of honor or shame either going up or you're going down it's never static
2: and it affects everyone around you it in affects. your group
1: yeah that's right and your status implicates the group that you're associated with so gorman goes on in roman society this respect was based primarily on things such as wealth mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. rhetorical skill mm-hmm. your ability to persuade others and speak well what does it influence speaking others? good What's in, in... <laughs>
0: no, I was thinking, what's the book? How oh, to win How friends. to Win Friends and Influence People. There you go. Yep. Yeah,
1: He goes on, family pedigree and political connections. These are the culture's status
0: indicators. Okay, and so that, that is the case in the modern West. It's the case in every culture has some form of this. Some form of this. But you're saying the, that the volumes turned up to a certain level that we're just not used to?
1: That would appall Yeah, that would appall us. But and I think it actually depends on where you grow up in Mm -hmm. America or Mm. Europe. If you're in a Western, Western, or New Zealand or Australia, (laughs) uh, he uh, says
2: peer pressure is not negative or something to avoid, but viewed as appropriate and welcome. That to a lot of us feels really appalling.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So so, I say that again. This is the finishing the quote. Peer pressure in this environment is
2: not negative.
1: Mm. It's not something to avoid. It's appropriate. And welcome.
0: So if someone with a higher rank comes to me and pressures me to do something, it's like, of course, we're going to do it. And this is your chance. This is my chance Mm -hmm. to get in their good grace. This is your Mm -hmm. chance to get
1: up a rank. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's a constant ladder climb. And I think what's different about it is back to collectivist and individualist. Within individualist, more individualist societies, we tend to view importance or honor or rank as subjective Mm -hmm. and individualist. Mm. And so I've made this joke. You do you for years now. <laughs> you do you. Every Disney movie made in the last two decades is an expression of an individualist honor mm. framework, self-esteem. I no wonder we yeah. can't think any yeah. other way. All the <laughs>
0: all the <laughs> yeah. Disney movies are trained us.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's just like your importance, your unique identity, mm-hmm. can only be discovered and determined by yourself. Mm. Don't let others tell you who you are, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, And I'm not saying one's bad or one's negative. I'm just saying all cultures exist on a spectrum yeah. mm-hmm. of the ways that they express this honor, honor, shame. Uh, and, but in Roman society, mm-hmm. it was very group, and it was very explicit. So someone who's been a slave, mm-hmm. even if you can gain freedom, will never be able to get beyond the ce- certain certain ceiling. Just... Because of their rank, of their status as a, as a former slave. And there are some former slaves that are very, very
0: influential. Now, what we're not saying is that the Bible is saying this is good. Yeah, no, right. no, no, no. We're that's just saying right. this is the cultural assumption of this is how our society is ordered. Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Exactly in fact, right. Jesus will go to a dinner party where that's how people are acting. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're yeah. sitting next to each other, mm-hmm. next to the cool person, trying to, like, yeah. you know, move up the ranks. Yeah. And he tells them they're. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But what he doesn't say is rank doesn't matter. Mm. You know, just be who you are. (laughs) You do you. (laughs) Everyone sit at the head of the table. Let's go around and y'all sit. What he says is, no, the poor are elevated to the most highest place. He inverts Mm. the scale. He He doesn't do away with the scale. Yeah. He he uses their system
2: of being to communicate another truth. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: He inverts the honor, shame, rank. Structure. And again, which I think is important, we're back to a translation. Mm -hmm. Culture, navigating cross cultures is always about translation. Okay. Because to embody what Jesus is saying in our setting, we don't have to reinvent first century culture in a local church to follow the teachings of (laughs) Jesus. Mm -hmm. We're called to embody it in a different cultural setting. But being aware of it when we read
0: Jesus' teachings. Well, then we could translate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't translate if you're not, if you don't understand. Yeah.
1: We've talked about this too before because this word honor in Greek or esteem, it comes from the Greek verb dakeo to esteem someone or to regard them as important. And that verb dakeo comes from the same root as the Greek word doxa, which is translated glory. Mm. And I've tried to get into the mental habit of when I see the word glory in my English translation to just always say honor. Hmm. Okay. Because it's about someone's status. Interesting. Someone's ultimate status within mm-hmm. the honor shame ranking system. Mm-hmm.
0: What would be a good example of a verse that says glory that you should just think honor? Oh, that's good.
1: That's a great question, John. Here's what I'm gonna do: a little word study. No, <laughs> let's just let's just do something random.
0: Yeah, just pull <laughs> up. That's what I'm saying. You're just gonna search glory, see what pops.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then let's just talk about it. Come on, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, the English word glory appears three hundred and sixty times in the New American Standard mm-hmm. Translation. So I'm just gonna
2: go through all those.
1: And I'm just gonna scroll. Ready?
0: <laughs> and
1: Ding! go. Isaiah ten eighteen. Okay. okay. Oh, this is a great example. <laughs> cool. Okay. Oh yeah. So this is about the empire of Assyria. Mm-hmm. So this is in the, One king- of the in the kingdom period mm-hmm. of Israel, and King Hezekiah is king in Jerusalem. Assyrian empire is on the rise. It's the biggest. And it's the first empire that the ancient world has ever known. The largest organization of military strength to that point in human history. And so they're coming. And uh, the king of Assyria besieged the city of Jerusalem. And what God says is God is going to destroy the glory of Assyria's forest and garden.
0: To destroy their glory of their forests and gardens. Yes. Mm, so yeah.
2: he's going to destroy their honor or their rank.
0: Yeah. Now there, it just seems like it means like, you know, your garden is very beautiful and you're there and it just has a sense of just awe and wonder. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, that's how tr- I
0: typically think of glory. Yeah, totally.
1: There's a couple things are going on. One is the cultural background of the king of Assyria. I mean, some of the most famous images that you can Google are of... Uh, the king S.R. Haddon's like cultivated gardens. Mm-hmm. He made little Edens yeah. of his kingdom to depict himself as the bringer of order and beauty. But it was a, it was all an embodiment
0: of his status I as see. the king mm-hmm. of the world. Look at, yeah, look at my status. I can order creation.
1: Yeah. And so from his high place on Eden, the king of Assyria went forth and was annexing the whole world as to be, you know, the tax regions that are going to fund his garden, fund his Eden. And God says, no, I'm going to destroy the glory. It's the Hebrew word kavod. So, and there it's the word heavy. The Hebrew word kavod means heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead yeah. of esteem, it's about your Weightiness. The gravity. Yeah. Your gravity. Yeah. So anyhow, glory has to do with embody the physical embodiment of your social rank.
0: So it's interesting, uh, just kind of tie this together, we started talking about words. Yeah, yeah. And then we said, well, so words is a simple way to think about how different cultures, view things in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. And there's bigger categories that one word may not capture. Yeah. And there's cosmologies and there's... Sacramental and spiritual. (laughs) How we just think about the material material world. Societal
2: systems.
0: Societal systems. Mm -hmm. But then really when it comes back around, the way for us to think about it is still with words. Words,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm. Words are often the vehicles of these larger cultural... Concepts
0: and one more word to land the plane, I suppose. In the honor shame, is the word grace.
1: Yes, which is the word gift. So we have two words. (laughs) One is what sounds like a religious word, grace, and then another word, gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're the same. (laughs) Yeah, they're (laughs) the same word in in Greek, Mm. charis. And the giving of gifts was one of the main ways that you attempt to move up the ladder Mm. is by giving gifts to people of lower rank, to put them in your debt so that they're obligated then to- Pay you back. Be in connection with you. Um, or the giving of gifts to someone of higher rank in the hopes that they will we return reciprocate. and reciprocate. And, ele- and then you receiving a gift from someone higher this is the way you get up the ladder. And so gifts are always given with an expectation of response.
0: Graces are always given.
1: Graces, yeah, that's right. So grace can be freely given. Okay, here are the, the, ma- the guru master, the Kung Fu master of the gift in grace language is a new testament scholar john barclay and uh oh man so good yeah grace in the new testament is given without condition it's given for free but it is given with expectation of return that's the pattern of grace so yeah even grace gets brought into this this framework I did have one more. We don't have time to talk about it. You can just mention know. it. I can just bring it up. Sure, just mention it. Oh, mm. the idea of holy, holiness, holy and profane, sacred and secular. Mm. That or, seems pretty connected to this. Purity and pollution. These mm. these. Okay. Opposites. But it is connected up to so the sacramental. sacramental worldview and, and yeah. cosmology. Okay. But it's just the idea that there are some things that are associated with life. The divine presence is always associated with life and power and purity. Mm. Mm. And what is mortal is associated with failure, mortality, death, mm. and impurity. And so we are always in a, one state or the other, usually moving from one many times in our lives. Mm-hmm. But the, the highest goal, like ascending to the heavens or ascending into the holy place, is to move from a state of polluted impurity to sacredness and holiness and purity. Is this
0: where we get the, uh, the old cleanliness is next to godliness? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Mantra. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so
2: you're saying if you put on that lens and mm-hmm. read... Through it, you might notice some things differently.
1: Yeah, all the stuff about holiness, ritual purity in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. kosher food laws. But it's all activated in the stories about Jesus, the people he heals, are almost to a T. People People, you shouldn't be touching. People who were ritually impure, Mm -hmm. which means Mm -hmm. they weren't allowed to go in the temple precincts in that state. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be allowed to go inside and you're not even place. supposed
0: to really be interacting with them right or uh, you wouldn't be able to go inside
1: uh, or you can contract impurity by touching them yeah and so and that's the big inversion is in the stories about Jesus mm. it's the purity is what's contagious mm. yeah it's contagious
0: holiness that's what i love about the holiness video we made years yeah. ago yeah yeah that was good
2: you know one more that i'm i'm thinking of that makes a really big difference when i read it, at least is the cultural assumption of Patriarchalism.
1: Yes. So, just
2: even being aware that this is a society where we're going to hear more about the fathers and the honor associated with the household of a father, of a husband, we're going to hear women's names mentioned less just -hmm. because of the culture. And so, when they are mentioned, that's a countercultural. Yep. move
1: yeah depending on where you live yeah right yeah yeah exactly
2: modern a, a readers. countercultural move for, for ancient them. israel yeah. yes
1: yeah. yeah that's right
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah exactly yeah to put a woman in jesus's genealogy mm-hmm. yeah exactly or for the women to mm-hmm. find the resurrected body correct like those kind of moves mm-hmm. yep would be very very strange mm-hmm. not for us yeah but for yeah yeah yeah, thank, yeah thank you
1: that's really on point it's something modern readers notice all the time yeah and again, we're back to that. This has been a, a question throughout church history. To what degree is the Bible just, it was written in this context, mm-hmm. and so it expresses that view. Whether or not the trajectory of the biblical story is saying, and all views of reality should be male-centered or patriarchy-centered. And that's been the big conversation throughout church history. Mm-hmm. But it's important to notice it so mm-hmm. that we don't just import whatever our views Onto the Bible.
0: Yeah, I think this is important to say that all of these assumptions, except mm. for the sacramental one, feel like saying, "Hey, this is just where culture was and how it thought, and it's a neutral place—not a neutral place necessarily, but think of it as just the waters they were swimming in mm-hmm. by which they were making sense of things that we can then translate out of." Mm-hmm. Where I think the sacramental one to me feels different. Mm. And maybe we don't have to solve this, but that Mm. one feels a little bit more like Mm -hmm. don't leave those waters. Mm. Like you can leave the waters of an ancient cosmology and translate Mm -hmm. out of it Mm. or out of honor and shame Mm. culture. And you can Mm -hmm. of a patriarchal culture, you can translate out of it. But the sacramental one to Mm. me feels Mm. like Mm. don't But but remember,
1: think Mm. the language used is something we need to translate for sacramental in other words i won't go looking for god more at the basement of my house than i will outside the house but those are the biblical categories in inside (laughs) or outside yeah for talking about yeah talking about sacred space encountered here in the material
0: i guess what i'm saying is you don't need to become a flat earther Mm -hmm. to understand the nature of god that's right
1: however i think what the biblical story and a sacramental worldview is asking us to see is there are certain places, people, moments, and experiences that are material that can become vehicles of God's presence in a very special, unique way that's unlike if I were to meet another one of those people, places, times, you know, the next day. Mm. So the material can be a vehicle of the spiritual. I think yeah. that is the fundamental thing here that does translate but the idea that that's inside a temple i see but with, where that is but where that is the language and categories for that within but i Bible. think it's a
0: beautiful way to think about your biology mm. totally right completely yeah that's right which yep. i think is, is great
1: but you could you could say a lot of the debates about what makes something biblical
0: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs>
1: Like for church communities, often it's a high value of we have a biblical view of X. Exactly. This is my point. And this is the challenge is, well, okay, what do we mean? Mm -hmm. What the biblical authors just assumed about reality? Mm -hmm. That the earth is flat. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we could go up this whole list. Look at this whole yeah. list: that people with skin diseases shouldn't be, be able to access divine presence; yeah. that only males should be in the leadership mm-hmm. of in all areas of faith mm-hmm. and culture. Right? These are assumptions. Mm-hmm. That peer pressure
0: is good. That yeah, mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. of the biblical mm-hmm.
1: authors had. But what we also need to attend is to the message of the biblical right, books yeah. that often yes. is developing and adapting, mm-hmm. tweaking, inverting. Uh huh. Inverting these assumptions yeah. in ways that we can only see if we notice these in the mm-hmm. first place. And right. I, I think actually you're, you're bringing up patriarchy as a good mm-hmm. example where there are some passages in the Bible that speak from a very patriarchy centered point of view. Mm-hmm. There are other parts of the Bible that are inverting. Mm-hmm and moving challenging that. Yeah, maybe. challenging that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they're both within the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to have a biblical view of x mm. is usually a little more complicated than we often yeah. assume. Mm. And I think that's the takeaway here is yeah. we need to think more deeply about how we engage the Bible and being yeah. taking a contextually rooted approach can often help us spot things that we might be blind yeah, to. Yeah,
2: that culture is the vehicle. The ancient culture is the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And we're not meant to impose all of that on ourselves, but we have to understand it to understand the author's message. And at the same time, it is a challenge to listen to another person in a different culture or another mm-hmm. group of people mm-hmm. and try on a lens and evaluate it as opposed to our own, just like if we were listening to anybody from a different culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So mm-hmm. it's It's a challenge. It's also just the context.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, we're going to do one more episode on yeah. this paradigm conversation. Yep. And that's going to be that the Bible mm-hmm. is a type of literature that's meant to be read in community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's communal literature. Mm-hmm.
2: Kind of yeah. relates to yeah. the individualist versus collectivist yeah. society. Yeah,
1: that's right. N- and not just read, but also embodied
0: and expressed. Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I like that word. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Bible Project Podcast. Next week, we're tackling the final pillar of the paradigm that the Bible is communal literature.
1: So stop and think. For 1,500 years, most followers of Jesus heard the Bible, read aloud in group settings. What that means is that the moment somebody would hear something and be like, what? I don't get that. You like turn to the other person and you're like, what did that mean? And they would be like, I don't know what that means. Let's go talk to the priest. Let's go talk to the pastor. So in other words, the puzzles in scripture and there are loaded onto every page. We're always part of a communal invitation to go connect to other people in the community so that we can discuss it and debate about it and so on. And that process is short-circuited. It's the main way I engage the
0: Bible is reading it alone by myself. Today's show was produced by Cooper Peltz. Zach McKinley is our editor. Dan Gummel is our lead editor. And Lindsay Ponder has done the show notes. Special thanks to Frank Garza for helping us produce this series. Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit. We exist to experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And everything we make is free because of the generous support of many people just like you. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Stephanie, and I'm from Malaysia. I first heard about Bible Project in 2017. It was introduced to me by my cousin, Benna and I fell in love with it immediately I use Bible Project for my personal devotion and Bible study with friends My favorite thing about Bible Project is its animation I really like the animation because I'm a visual learner and it brings the Bible alive for me We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus We are a crowd-funded project by people like me Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, classes and more at Bibleproject.com.